This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 42, Optimal Health and Wellness. My name is Erica, and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Melina Meza. Melina is a pioneer in the field of yoga, nutrition, and Ayurvedic health, sharing her knowledge with yogis around the world for more than 20 years now. She is the author of Seasonal Health and Wellness and The Art of Sequencing, as well as the creator of Yoga for the Season, Fall Vinyasa, and that was a DVD. Her teachings can also be found on Yoga Anytime, Yoga You Online, and Guy MTV. And whether she is with individual clients, leading workshops or retreats, Melina teaches a holistic practice that features lifestyle, diet, and yoga practices tailored to the rhythm of the four seasons. As always, I really appreciate your support, so please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen. And you like this podcast? Well, get an extra episode a month and other exclusive content by visiting my Patreon page at patreon.com slash on and off your mat to become a VIP member. With a membership of only $5 a month, you get access to all our extra content and you help me continue to share, educate, and inspire thousands of students around the world every episode. I want to say thank you and welcome to our newest VIP members, Sharon Rick and Amelia Comstock. You guys rock. Okay, with all that, let's get to our episode of today. Hi, Melina. Hello, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh, that's an honor. And thank you for having me as one of your guests on your podcast. I'm so happy. Melina, mm. for listeners that don't know you very well, can you start us off with a little bit about yourself, your journey through yoga, nutrition, and Ayurveda? Uh, yeah, Um so my journey began um, I guess back in 1993 when I moved from California to Seattle to go attend Bastyr University, which is kind of a small health science school. And uh, when I moved to Seattle for nutrition, the first week that I started school, I found yoga and uh, attended my first class and had that experience um, that I had never had, I think, at that point, which was I found something that I was going to do for the rest of my life. I had that feeling. Mm. And um, and it's been true. It's been something I've uh, remained doing since 1993, which is quite amazing. Uh, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I was really eager to wrap up my nutrition degree because I got so excited about yoga and how that made me feel and how that helped me focus. Um so once I graduated, then I started pursuing yoga and did um, my first teacher training. And after I finished that, um, I started uh, seeing exposure to different teachers, um, kind of the national teachers at the time. And um, eventually found my Ayurveda guru teacher, Dr. Robert Svoboda, mm-hmm. and um, and was immediately uh, in awe of the system of Ayurveda and how it brought together for me, you know, a philosophy around healthy living, um, you know, good dietary practices. So it kind of connected my two loves of yoga asana and how to take care of your physical body. Um, you know, different seasons might need different types of movement practices, which kind of mastered living in Seattle um, for about 18 years, I really realized how helpful it was to actually adjust my my movement practice um, with the seasons and then also with diet. And so meeting Robert was like this, you know, amazing connection for me on a really deep level to uh, be able to make sense of what I loved on a really deep level. And then really started helping me clarify like how to 
what to teach. Mm. Um, and then the gift of living in Seattle to some degree was that I struggled a bit with seasonal affect disorder and through healthy lifestyle practices, it was a lot easier to manage that. Um, and I still to this day find even living in California where it's not quite as temperate, um, that it's still very helpful to follow a lot of those same lifestyle changes living down here in California. Um, so it's kind of useful information. I feel like no matter where you live, and um, the practice of Ayurveda is something that I feel like I just deepen with each year. The more I experiment with little mini practices myself and uh, appreciate the the healing, balancing power that it has to stabilize health mm-hmm. for long periods. For people that don't know what is Ayurveda, can you explain it a little bit? Sure. Um, maybe one of the simple ways of looking at this health science is it's rooted in nature in the sense of teaching people how to read nature and to look to nature for solutions. And so if we are connected to nature and we spend time uh, regularly outside, we would notice changes occurring wherever you live. Um, whether it's plants changing, trees changing, the amount of light that you have in one day, Mm -hmm. you know, will change from one season to the next. So as soon as we're aware of this greater environment that we are part of, not separate from, that when nature is changing, that we are changing. So it's a system to try to tune you in, number one, to, you know, greater environment and how that influences your constitution, And we look at each person as individual in Ayurveda and addressing that each person has different needs and those needs might change based on what season you live in. And so it's how to um, uh, balance yourself with the earth, air, fire, water, space elements and to try to catch imbalances before they grow. So it's a preventative health science and I think has a lot of simple practical wisdom that applies to today's lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I hope to keep sharing with people is what's practical and useful today. Yeah. Um, And kind of to some degree do some uh, interpretation to apply these ancient techniques or ancient ideas to modern times. And yeah, and it's working. (laughs) (laughs) So you wrote a book called Seasonal Health and Wellness, Change Your Life One Week at a Time. Yes. And you're just talking about now, how does that apply nowadays and how does it look in today's lifestyle? So in your opinion, what does optimal health and wellness look in this modern time? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, I think in these modern times, um, optimal health is really something that embraces someone's physical wellness and mental wellness. Um, and perhaps it's always been that. <laughs> but in these days and a- day mm-hmm. and age, I feel like for people to find the right amount of physical movement um, throughout a day, that that tends to keep people uh, warmer and digesting food better and maybe even sleeping better when they get appropriate amount of movement and exercise in one day. Mm -hmm. 
And then that helps again when we have better digestion, which is a huge part of what I feel like is optimal health is the ability to digest what you take in through your senses, not just food, but mm. through all of your senses. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you're digesting well what you take in food-wise, uh, then you have good tissues in the body and the person will typically feel more energetic and energy levels throughout the day would be much more stable, which I feel for modern times is a, is a bonus that we are, um, you know, in our culture, so much is happening and there's so much... Um, to produce in one day that if your energy is stable, that that typically goes better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so good energy levels, I think, also relates to optimal health in these modern times. And then the ability to focus. I feel like if we're well-nourished, that has an influence on our brain and our ability to focus. Um, and that's then I think if our brain is working well, we might make good choices to actually continue to do things that are good for you. Mm. And then lastly, I think the other piece for optimal health is that we have good sleep. And when we're well-rested, we tend to be kinder and more patient mm-hmm. <laughs> in this busy in these busy <laughs> times. <laughs> and also, I feel like, when we are well-rested, um, number one, your immune system would be stronger. And then the last part, I think, is that our, our we often will have a little surplus of energy, which then helps us be more creative um, every day. Mm. And, and I feel like that is a, an important ingredient to keep an eye on as an adult, that we don't forget to leave room for ourselves to play or to express our creative nature um, regularly. Yeah, that's so interesting because I don't think most people would include creativity in health and wellness, but it's true. Right. Yeah, it's it's very nice. So digestion, sleep, energy, focus, creativity. Five things yeah. to look out. <laughs> there you go. For your that's health. it. Awesome. And, if, and if, you, if you have good digestion, I always tell people, it's like if you have... Good digestion and don't get much feedback after you eat and you have good sleep and you wake up and you feel creative and energetic, keep doing what you're doing. You know, <laughs> you've, you've figured something out and then things change as we age or as we have a different job or a different relationship or live in a different climate. And we just keep track of ourselves, like keep um, increasing our mindfulness of the feedback that the body is giving us on a regular basis um, to maintain our our homeostasis and uh, try not to get out of whack. And what's interesting about these things also, there's no magic pill here. It's all about consistency and steadfastness. Yeah. 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 Those little things that we do, um, I really believe add up over the long run. You know, the list, you know, we're really made up, I believe, of our little daily habits what we do, what we think has a really big impact at the end of the week. And with those sort of little regular uh, practices that we do to maintain our health, like at the end of the month, that really adds up. So, you know, even on a movement level, I often tell people if you can, you know, do five, 10 minutes of literally just rolling around on your back movement practices each day, that that might be better for you than taking one one hour class, you mm-hmm. know, a week. Mm-hmm you know, just to help improve the circulation overall in your body, which 
you know, kind of want to help your body circulate better, that often is going to help your, you know, actually with digestion and with your learning and your ability to pay attention. So habits are really important, obviously. And you mentioned how the season and communing with nature is really important. Something I really like about your book is how you bring that together. And it's really simple to approach. I find a lot of Ayurvedic books really focus on constitution, which you really just right. dropped in in a second. But why did you not choose to base it on constitution and you chose to use habits and seasons and time of day and that kind of rhythm instead? Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a conscious choice and conscious choice not to include yoga and Ayurveda in the title um, because right now my my goal is to try to widen the audience of people who do these simple practices that you know don't require you know anything about yoga history, mm, yoga philosophy, mm-hmm. um, that you don't need to know any, what Ayurveda means to benefit from these simple practices. So... Um, my over the years now teaching this, what I've noticed is as soon as people are aware of these like dosha tests, mm-hmm. <laughs> is that everybody really quickly wants to know what their what their constitution is, and then you know like wants to go get a tattoo <laughs> on their body and identify as this one thing. And I feel like that can be kind of limiting mm. and sometimes rushed. So my hope was that. Uh, the book is much more about, you know, to me, it is, of course, about the doshas, but I don't tell you that. Um, that is in my mind to the background what's going on here to some degree, but more around the dosha of the season mm. and dosha of the time of day that it doesn't matter what dosha you are, that oftentimes groups of people will experience um, dehydration in the morning. Um, so it doesn't matter what dosha you are. We all pretty much universally are going to be more dehydrated in the morning. So mm-hmm. I, I suggest things that are good for dehydration at that time of day. And then there are times of day where you're able to focus longer periods, our morning window. Um, you know, most people from like nine to 11 have the ability to focus on detail work mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. It's a good time to work at that time of day. Yeah. And um, so I, you know, offer things that are good generally for everybody at that time of day and then noon and go through each day. And I felt like that's the structure of knowing that is something that everybody can use. And if I made it more around your constitution, I think it starts to get confusing really fast mm-hmm. and, um, and requires that you, you know, you understand what Bata Pitta Kappa are. Mm-hmm. And that's not for everybody. Um, not everybody has access to study that. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty committed to expanding the community of people who practice wellness, um, who, who uh, you know, like how healthcare is getting so expensive these days. And if you didn't have it, like here's, you know, some structure of things that would pro- hopefully help prevent some, you know, basic common colds and flus from arising if you did good healthcare practices. Mm-hmm. So to me, doshas just get in the way of that to some degree. It complicates things too much for yeah, average person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we are in fall right now. What would be the quality of this season that people can generally keep in mind? Yeah. 
Um, so the quality of the season now would be dry and it's getting cold um, and more space is revealed, you know, like as the trees all drop their leaves, mm. more space is revealed. So Vata season is, is this transition season, one of them that we're in right now. So it would be uh, different constitutions, if we are talking about doshas, would respond differently. And for some people, it's a super creative time. And for super, some people, it could be an anxious time when there is more space. Not everybody does well with mm-hmm. wide open space. <laughs> you know, it could be overwhelming. Um, so, you know, kind of some things that can be really complementary or helpful to do is to, you know sit down and have warm cup of tea, wrap your hands around something warm and hydrating and causes you to slow down and relax your nervous system a little bit. Um, Things that draw you inwards um, towards, uh, I think, like the stove. So like making big Mm. pots of soup or making broth that take time and draw you in near warm places can be super nurturing and balancing at a season like this and to, you know, make, uh, I think soup is sort of like the supreme thing that, you know, balances vata like nothing else um, because you have to sit down to have soup mm-hmm. and you have to, you can't you have, have soup in the car. Slowly. You can't have soup in the car. Right. Um, so, I really believe in that. I really believe that it's one of those things that just hits all the marks that where Vata gets out of balance is having a cup of soup mm. is the is the medicine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then in addition to that, like oil is one of the huge recommendations for this dry season. But the oil massage that we talk about a lot, you would apply whether it could be a sesame oil from your kitchen um, or an herb infused one that has some nice scents um, that has been basically cooked for a day with different herbs that would be calming for the vata person. Any oil that you're going to apply is like a little extra layer of coating and and skin and warmth from the protection, right? Mm. From the changing, cool, air. And I think it's interesting to know one of the, the root words, snea means oil, which means love. So you're mm. giving yourself a little loving kindness, medi- a massage, massage when, yeah, when you do the oil treatment that's often recommended uh, this season, uh, I think on, on a regular basis, it's not a bad idea if somebody can treat themselves to a little five, 10 minute self-care practice yeah. in the morning or in the evening to um, get more grounded. Yeah. So anything that is hydrating, keeping you warm, feeling nurturing, feeling like you can slow down with it are all good options. Yeah. And who is, you know, it's kind of one of those seasons where if we're aware of looking outside, our days are really short, you know, as we're getting closer and closer to the solstice. So, you know, when there's less light outside, it's like, okay, time to go in and find things ideally that are healthy for you to do as you unwind to relax into your evening. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this a little bit. Sleep, you mentioned earlier, that is an important part of Ayurveda. Do you have general tips for good sleep practices or good good sleep hygiene? Yeah. 
Um, I think for some people, again, more than others, what's really, really helpful is to eat your meal, evening meal, earlier. So like nothing after 7 Mm p.m. And ideally, you know, 6 p.m., um, I teach in the evening a lot, so I eat like five, five thirty a lot. Yeah, and me it too. Just, it feels it's it's like yay, okay. It's really a healthy thing often to do, um, so that you're not going to bed while digesting food, and that can make a huge difference for a ton of people. And, and the next layers of that, you know, is like not having alcohol um, late in the evening, um, not having sugar before bed, those sort of things. And in addition to that, I think an important thing that gets overlooked is the oftentimes the need to rest before we sleep. Mm. And it's like a, a precursor uh, to, I think, good sleep is that one has rested before just lying in bed after a really busy day and expect that you're just going to fall asleep. Mm. So it's like it's <laughs> so, not a switch. You go to bed, right. you fall asleep. I like that yeah. idea of resting before sleep. How does that look for you? Yeah. Um, and some of the ways that to me, I get to that place of rest is to have a cup of tea and sit on the couch. And sometimes my rest includes starting with with a piece of paper and a pen and writing all the things that I need to finish or that I want to think about tomorrow and like get that out of my head. Mm. So that I then can actually rest and whether it's enjoying a book or sometimes working on a little piece of music or to do an oil massage, to take a quick rinse living in California. Um, some places you might have access to taking a quick bath, which to me is like my one of my favorite ways mm-hmm. to take me an too. Epsom salt bath with essential oils and candles and music that I love playing, like that's sort of the a step towards what I would find relaxing. Opposite of when, of course, <laughs> through exper- experimentation, I know what not super relaxing before bed is, which is like tuning into some super addictive Netflix show <laughs> or, <laughs> and, and like needing to watch like the next one and oh, wanting yeah. to watch the next one. And then noticing, oh my gosh, like my heart rate is up. The characters are in my mind and yes. then I have weird sleep and okay, that's not, that's what not to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. How about phones and computers and those things? Oh, geez. Yeah, I know. That's, that seems so obvious, but it's so, I think, needs to be spoken of to mm-hmm. at least, at least um, you know, in my book, I have a couple of the weekly practices are like read before bed, like no electronics for like one week, at least give it a try to notice. Do you, do you notice a difference if you are not looking at screens, you know, one hour before bed? Mm-hmm. And and to, it takes for, uh, I think, a lot of people, sincere effort now. Like it's oh, yeah. actually a, a practice that you have to, you know, be dedicated to in order for that to actually happen on a regular basis. It's part of my goals at night to not, and it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a challenge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm always so grateful. I, I teach like at one one place in the world where I teach, there's no internet anywhere, no cell reception. And I'm often having to do a fair amount of prep work to get people ready for the mm. idea that Detox. you're not going to be, 
Yeah, you're not going to be able to stand on any rock and raise your phone up in the air. Your text will not come through. And just to remember what it's like to be with yourself again mm. and just like how how healthy people end up feeling very quickly when we're not distracted by this little twitch to reach for the phone, you know, on a, you know, whatever, however many times somebody does that a day, but just like kind of what a waste of energy that is to like do that all day long. Yeah. And how much more, you know, people say, if you look at kind of how to be efficient in your day, to try to actually work towards, you know, checking your email three times a day and just be really thorough and focused when you do it. And, you know, for the Vata constitutions of people who are more easily distracted, that's a great thing to work towards is to, you know, minimize the amount of times that you let yourself kind of check in to the stimulation of your phone or your computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what a, you know, what a cool experiment to see. Does that actually make a difference for you? And Ayurveda is all about experimentation, which mm. I think is fantastic. And as you experiment, you along the way learn how to pay better attention to yourself in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. Another big piece that you mentioned earlier that was very important that I'd like us to touch on a little bit is digestion. It feels like it's really at the core of Ayurveda. Um, any general tips yeah. for better digestion? Yes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so many, but the, the real basic things I, I share regularly with people um, is to be aware um, each person's digestion is definitely different. Um, so one of the main rules in Ayurveda is to eat when you're hungry and don't eat when you're not. <laughs> which sounds which, so simple, yet we struggle know, with that. So hard. And then the next layer of, again, common sense, but also so hard to do is to try to stop eating when you are satisfied mm. versus when you're full. And I actually heard that from Michael Pollan years ago. Um, one of the people I really admire his work around food, um, what he writes about it. And so this idea that if you eat and you get too full, then your stomach is, you know, maxed out and there's not space to digest well. Um, And if you think of your stomach as an actual little campfire and you put too much wood onto a fire, it smolders the fire and and takes a really long time for that wood or the food in this case to digest versus leaving a little room for space in your stomach, um, oftentimes things will digest much more efficiently and quickly and you won't feel bogged down ever after meals. Like you won't have to sit down Mm. and, you know, (laughs) like after Thanksgiving idea, like (laughs) you don't have to sit and wait for an hour before you feel like you can do anything. Yeah. So we're, we're trying... Your brain is like not quite online. <laughs> yeah, everything's in your stomach, right? So we're, we're trying ideally to eat the right amount to actually give you energy to continue doing the things that are important for you to do. Um, so being aware of when you are hungry so that, you know, every all the enzymes are there to help you digest well and that we basically slow down and pay attention to when you're eating 
to eat the right amount, again, which is super hard to do every day. But the good news is every meal, you have the opportunity to try again, mm, which mm-hmm. is, you know, okay, so maybe one meal, it didn't work out so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, great, just try again the next meal. Could we, as a practice, try to stop when we feel satisfied and notice, you know, how your energy is after that. And, and then another thing that I think is pretty common in Ayurveda and other Eastern nutrition practices and Chinese medicine is to avoid um, cold drinks, avoid cold liquids coming into your system around mealtime. Why is that? Um, so a couple things. One is that too much liquid would potentially dilute the strength of the stomach acids um, and so too much wet in your stomach makes it hard to digest the actual food. Does like it affect in the, way the you, enzymes as well? Yeah, we could we could potentially notice that there would be a dilution to some degree of the strength, again, of the, the proportion maybe mm-hmm. of the digestive enzymes that are there versus just when you're purely starting to get that feeling of hunger, that real clear hunger, um, to not have a bunch of liquid when you feel that. So the other piece with cold is that cold is more contracting um, and then often requires your body to warm up. So we try to think of liquid as something that you use to rinse your mouth when you're eating um, and to separate water, you know, hydrating, you know, maybe a good half hour on either end of your meal. Um, if, however, somebody wanted to, you know, in the new year, often people are looking for ways like lose pound, lose a, a pound or two. And if you are drinking a lot of liquid, um, that can sometimes help you feel full mm-hmm. and sometimes more like bloated, which is not necessarily, in my opinion, ideal. <laughs> so being aware, though, that like you would eat less, some people would eat less if they're having a lot of water before their meal. And that might be intentional. Do you also think that just being dehydrated gives us more signal of hunger and then we eat more when we are dehydrated? Absolutely. Yeah. And that can be quite confusing to um, to mix the signals. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do feel like in general, most people, if you're keeping track of digestion, is about every four to five hours, like people need to eat again. Like mm-hmm. that's a, wor- a working person who's you know, engaged using their mind. If you're in that four or five hour window, you know, just water is probably not going to be sufficient. Mm-hmm. So, you know, keeping track, I literally with some people will say, okay, when you get hungry in the morning and you have breakfast, whatever your hopefully warm breakfast is from fall until the winter time, that maybe you set a clock alarm and you check in with your physical body after four hours and notice, are you starting to experience hunger? Mm. And for some people who get swept into projects, um, it's, it's seriously not uncommon for people to lose track of their stomach and the feedback that their stomach is giving them to eat, um, to then sustain their energy so that 
they don't make any, you know, um, kind of crimes against wisdom, as we say in Ayurveda. <laughs> I love that term. <laughs> that crimes against wisdom. <laughs> so that, you know, you eat when you're hungry and you don't avoid doing that. Um, or that when you get then to 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. and you're starving because you haven't had food since one o'clock, that you start eating like all kinds of weird food combinations <laughs> that, that then are difficult to digest and difficult to sleep and all those are crimes against wisdom. <laughs> How about distraction while eating? Yeah, um, that can be a huge factor in kind of one of the first things I mentioned around digestion is you often if you're not paying attention, won't notice how much food you just ate. Mm. Um, you know, you won't notice if you're satisfied, if you're busy, you know, working on some Excel spreadsheet on your computer while you're eating. So mindfulness is important to keep track of how much food and to, you know, ideally look at your food to have that appreciation to kind of literally have the saliva in your mouth there because the food you're looking at is tempting and colorful and, you know, kind of get your, your saliva going. That's helpful for digestion. And what else can I say about that? If you are, if you're aware of, if you're not aware of eating your food and you finish your bowl of cereal or lunch, whatever it might be. Um, you know, there's been some interesting studies that show when people have the plate in front of them with evidence of food, that they won't have an appetite to eat more. If there's still evidence of food right in front of you, like your plate is still in front of you with mm. your fork and whatnot. Um, and if you, you know, remove the foods, uh, the plates and such, and you're not paying attention and it's taken away quickly that your stomach quickly forgets that you just had food and will often want more. Oh, that's interesting. So our, so our stomach has a very small memory and it's really nice to like, just keep looking at the food while you're eating it, just to keep telling your stomach, I'm still eating, you know, and if I haven't reached satisfaction, I'm going to keep going another spoonful, another bite until you kind of feel like, I don't have cravings of hunger anymore. And maybe this is a good stopping point. Mm -hmm. We mentioned that in fall, it's good to slow down in our practice movement. Is there anything else that we should keep in mind, either if it's yoga or other physical practices? Um, yeah, maybe on the yoga side, because that's something mm -hmm. I teach a lot, um, is to to welcome a little bit of slowing down movement-wise um, to potentially maybe instead of going to like the level two fast flow with lots of music, mm -hmm. um, which can be very stimulating, um, is maybe to go to more of like a, a Hatha class or something where you're going to do less movement but still maybe move in a rhythmic way, but just not quite as fast and without maybe as many distractions so that you could be a little more in touch with grounding and, you know, feet on the ground for longer periods of time, holding the poses a little bit longer to cultivate that heat. And I think to move energy down away from the head by doing your standing poses longer. Mm. Um, and the thing that I probably love the most as a switch for 
autumn season is how to make your movement practice a little bit more meditative. So um, an example of how I do that a lot with students is to tie a yoga strap around their rib cage, kind of around the diaphragm. Mm -hmm. And to try to do, you know, your warrior one with your arms raised overhead and to try to feel where your ribs are in space and to invite your ribs to move back over your pelvis. And so there's Mm. this kind of sense of taking your attention inward to align the bones of your body so that your muscles are more uh, open and relaxed and we have this quality of meditation as we turn our attention inward, Mm -hmm. rather than looking out to see what's happening in front of you or to be in that kind of backbend state, that fight-flight state all the time, that we could move into an easier, less extreme version of a backbend and maybe really calm the nervous system and to move in a meditative way mm-hmm. that is helpful in the vata season. And if we look at meditation practices themselves, is there a specific kind of practice that would serve us best in fall? Like a seated meditation? Yeah. Um, I think a couple things. One, that depending on like what the fall looks like where you live, like for people who are living in more northern areas where it's much darker, um, like where I came from in Seattle, it's really dark, that oftentimes I would find a standing meditation practice more helpful than sitting Mm. as we move into the darker time. Um, Number one, because I'm not going to fall asleep. Mm. (laughs) And I stay more interested. And if I'm in a good standing posture with slightly bent ankles, slightly bent knees, um, aligning the bones of my body is quite um, supportive because of the warmth um, and the... Ah, the the core invigorating part that's subtle but happening when you're standing for five minutes that requires mm-hmm. quite a lot of core strength. Mm-hmm. And so, for someone like me who would lean toward a little seasonal depression, sitting can kind of I can go into the doom gloom rabbit hole <laughs> pretty pretty easily just sitting there without like a strong focal point. Yeah. So for, for Vata people, it can be really great to have a focal point. And if I'm standing, my bones are that. If I'm sitting, I find it really helpful to do something like candle gazing meditation or um, where I have a lit candle at least an arm's length away from me. And I just let my eyes open and I stay focused. And I just try to look at the candle flame as I sit for five, 10 minutes Mm. Kind of to give me something to do um, or to repeat a word to myself, um, like a little uh, mantra to keep me on track, to kind of uh, sharpen my attention to one word. And the word that I feel like is really user-friendly is the word now, mm. like to, to, to kind of snap me into like the moment is like, now I'm ready to focus now I'm I'm sincerely ready more. <laughs> I'm more ready now to elevate my state of mind, to get to know myself better, to get to know my mind better right now. And I find that helpful to use as I breathe in and as I breathe out. 
or whatever phrase kind of lights you up, but to yeah. actually have um, a, a, a focal point rather than just sitting that doesn't tend for a lot of people to maybe be all that productive. Yeah, those are great tips. Anything else you want to add before we finish? If there's one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave with, what would that be? Either about like the fall or Ayurveda in general or something to remember? Mm. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, <laughs> the one thing. Um, I think to not underestimate the the small steps that we take to take care of ourselves, not underestimate the value of those little things that we do mm. um, and that they do add up to make a difference. Um, and to remember that if one day the practice, you know, isn't there, that you have the opportunity the next day to recommit. Um, and it can just go like that, I think, just to kind of how to show up and recommit freshly to each day and not to kind of worry about, you know, the new year's resolution, trying to keep track of something for one year is a a big ask (laughs) in my opinion. And, um, and just the little daily things that we do are are pretty darn important. Mm, Great. I'll put all your info in the show notes, the link to your books. Uh, But in the meantime, what's the best place for people to find you if they want to say hello, or they'd like to study with you? Yeah, um, I'm in Oakland, California, um, teaching weekly classes, and I have a, a beautiful website, lots of images from the photography I do and shows all the workshops and yoga videos I'm on. Um, the MelinaMeza.com is the best place to find everything about what I'm doing. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Melina, for your time today. That was very interesting. Thank you. It's been a pleasure getting to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. All right, take care. Thank you so much for listening. Now check out the show notes to find more info about our guest of today, Melina Mesa, or my top five biggest takeaways for that episode. Our last episode was supported by Athleta as they generously gave a $75 shop card for listeners. So thank you so much if you left a review. The winner of that giveaway is iTunes user DMilo. DMilo said... As a practitioner and teacher of yoga, I so appreciate Erica's amazing podcast. Her guests are wonderful. She's both highly informed and passionate about yoga, as well as lovely to listen to. Her interviews are great, and the topics are very interesting and relevant to a wide spectrum of practice. Bravo. Well, thank you, DeMilo, for your comment. Please email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram, and I'll send you your shop cards. Also, guys, if you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget, visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat, donate or become a monthly member and get your hands on all our exclusive content. Now, before we go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba, working in the background, creating the music, editing and mastering this podcast. Once again, thank you for joining us. Until next time. <laughs>